Uh, we are going to jump into the series that we've been in uh, since the fall and actually jump back in last, last week after uh, coming through the holidays. And in this, this series is called The Gospel Shape. So if you're visiting with us today or you're new to kind of catch you up, th- this is a series that we started in September and we're taking a, a long period of time, week in and week out, to talk about this thing called the gospel, which I know is kind of a, a loaded term. It, it's used obviously in Christianity, but the gospel in its, its, its simplest form is the good news that's, that's about all of human history. It's God working through human history to reconnect us back to him. And the way he does that is because he's, he's given us the ability as human beings to make a choice in our life. It's the choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden. That's this choice. We can choose for God to be the leader of our life and to take his lead and his wisdom and his guidance on how we live our life, determine between right and wrong, good and bad, or we can do like Adam and Eve and we can say thanks, but no thanks. I'll do it on my own. And all of us at one way or another in our lives have made that decision to go on our own. So what we do is we don't, we, what we do in, in that process, even though it might be unintentional, is we lose the very thing that gives us meaning, purpose, and fulfillment, a connection with God. So what the gospel is, the good news is that even though we've done it and we've blown it, it's not over because God reconnects us back to him through Jesus' death for that failure, those flawed attempts to try to be our own God, and through his life gives us, or his resurrection gives us the ability to reconnect with God. That's the gospel. And if that reality is true, which we 100% believe is true, validated by history, that if that's true, then that reality influences and touches and shapes every aspect of who we are as human beings, everything. So literally, this series could go on for years and years and years, but it won't, thank goodness, right? But we are touching on a lot of different areas where we need to really understand the gospel shapes everything a part of about who we are. So we've gone through already, we've, we've talked about, uh, a couple months ago, we talked about sexuality, we've talked about, uh, we'll talk about themes about grace, we'll talk about marriage, singleness, retirement, politics, all those things, because the gospel has something to say about all of those things, this reality in our life. And so this morning we're going to focus in on a topic that may, want, may not directly relate to you in the season of life that you're in, but it may, may reflect back on where you were previously or what you will be in your future. And that is where, this morning we're going to talk about how the gospel shapes parenting. And this is extremely important. In fact, I, I will tell you that this is kind of an overview we're going to walk through this morning. And, and for those of you, especially those of you with kids right now, and you want a little bit of a deeper dive in parenting, on Wednesday night we're having what's called Family Night, and it's going to focus on parenting. It starts at 6.30, we'll go till about 8, and we'll go a little bit deeper into some of the things and even do some question and answer to kind of hear what, what, what's going on in people's lives in terms of parenting. Because if, if you have a child, you know it's not easy, right? Okay, like raise your hand so I know. Like, you're like mm, Yeah, I know, I know. No, it's difficult. Parenting is difficult, especially in the, in, the, in the day and age that we live in. So, But if you're going to be here Wednesday night, we need to know you're coming because we need to make sure there's enough space. Child care is, is available, so you just need to sign yourself up and your child. You can put that on a Connect card. You can go online and do that. We will make sure that you know that you're coming. That you're coming. So before we talk about specifically how the gospel shapes parenting, I want to just start with just three quick things that really, what, what, what dominates the world we live in right now in terms of parenting? Where do we take our cues from when it comes to parenting? What is actually shaping the parenting that many people embrace today? And I'll, I want to kind of touch on that because it's obviously quite a comparison between what the gospel says about parenting and ultimately what we end up doing sometimes in our lives and in our culture. So the first, there's three things, culture, background, and fear. Those three things are what shape a lot of parenting today. And let me kind of just briefly touch on those. So how does culture shape our parenting? So what happens is because we, we live in, a, in culture, culture has a lot of, of influence in our lives, whether it's good or bad, uh, whether it would be considered Christian or non-Christian, it influences us because it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's kind of the soup that we live in. And so because of that, we, we take a cue from the culture in terms of how we approach how we parent our kids. And so because of that, we have, we have a tendency to parent by committee instead of conviction. What I mean by that is that we kind of like look around and see, well, how are they doing it? How are they doing it? I have no idea how to do it. So we just take whatever we think the latest greatest is or what other people are doing, and so we do what everybody else is doing, whether it's good or bad. Also, we, we parent through the cultural, through our current trends and culture because we, we parent for acceptance instead of influence. This is a big thing in our culture right now. Somehow parenting shifted in, I don't know when it happened, but a lot of parenting today shifts to, I want to I be your parent, but I really want to be your friend. I want you to like me. I want to be relatable. I want to be current. I want to be relevant. I want to be cool and hip, that kind of a parent. And so what happens is that, that the parent here now comes down to here and becomes friends. And by the way, when your kids are growing up, they don't need a friend as a parent. When they're an adult and they have their own family and their own, own life, that's when friendship kicks in. 
But before that, they don't need a friend from you, at least. They need a parent. Sometimes we think that, and this is what happens in the culture, that um, uh, somehow we've bought into this idea that uh, culturally kids are smarter than adults. Anybody watched any television lately? Anybody watched the Disney Channel? No offense to Disney, okay? We know Disney rules the world, right? But there's a trend over the last about probably 15 years to 20 years where, especially in a lot of younger programming, the parents look like buffoons and idiots while the kids, an eight-year-old, knows the world's mysteries, right? And so there's this, this disdain for parenting because parents are out of touch. They don't know what's going on in reality. And somehow the eight or 10-year-old knows everything they need to know about the world around them. And so we buy, buy into this that somehow, well, they're just kids today and kids are more advanced than when I was, you know, and we just kind of give up that way. That's kind of the culture we live in. Another thing that shapes our parenting is the concept of our background, what we were raised in, what, what, what we experienced, whether it was good or bad. And sometimes we can't determine w- if it was good or bad. And so we'll say things like this at a moment of frustration and not knowing what to do. Well, it worked for my parents. I turned out okay. Anybody ever said that or thought that? Almost like, I don't know what to do, but hey, I, I turned out all right. Well, I don't know. I'm not trying to be offensive, but that's debatable, right? If we turned out all right or not. That's a subjective kind of question. But when we default to that, we don't really know. We're kind of just taking a stab in the dark and not knowing if what we're doing today is really effective for the child that we have in front of us. Or we also know this is true, that we tend to, to pass on the dysfunctions of the family that we were raised in. So however we were raised, we end up raising our kids. And so if it was good, it's great. If it's bad, not so much. And sometimes in our parenting, when we parent from the past, we're parenting more of as a reaction against something. So we, instead of doing what our parents did, we do everything our parents didn't do. I've seen that kind of parenting model where it's like, I am so messed up. I don't want to be, I don't want to do what my parents did to me. So I do the exact opposite to the children that I'm raising. And that's, again, that's more of a reactionary concept. And then I think this is one of the biggest ones that drives us today. And that is not just in parenting, but a lot of areas. We are driven by fear. We parent out of fear. What, is a, what does a parent look like when they parent out of fear? Well, danger becomes the, the number one threat in life. So as a parent, we do everything to minimize or eliminate any kind of thing that would bring danger to our child, either physically or emotionally. And it is important to be a to protect protect your your kids but what happens is we move from protection to sheltering them from reality and they grow up in a bubble and when they finally have to get outside of that bubble they don't know how to live in the world because they've been so isolated and insulated from the world around them they don't even know how to relate to people because they've been so controlled and because there's been this fear the other fear that drives us is that we, we parent our kids with this fear of missing out. So there's a hashtag for it. It's actually gone around the internet, and it's actually what drives social media, FOMO, fear of missing out. It's a reality. When you ever, anybody who spent time fa- on Facebook or on Instagram, and you're reading through, and you're thinking, man, my life stinks. Look at what everybody else is doing. I wish my life was exciting. Anybody want to admit you ever felt that way? We all have. What is that? That's FOMO. That's I, I, I'm missing out on life. I'm, just, I'm sitting here scrolling through my Facebook. I should be doing this. But you don't realize that what you're looking at is a highly edited version of somebody's reality. It's not the way they live every day. We usually don't post our worst moments on Facebook. I don't know why, right? No, only the best moments. Only what we want people to, in a sense, be jealous of. Look what I'm doing, right? And so we parent that way. How do we parent that way? We're afraid that our kids are not going to be like the next door neighbors or the kids at school or the kids at church who are doing all these activities and are becoming these amazing people. And so we do all the things that everybody else is doing. Why? Because we're afraid our kids are going to miss out. But there's something actually greater than activities and all the things that we focus our kids on that they may miss out on. And his name is Jesus. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then we also will parent out of comparison. So we drive our kids because of our own insecurities. Because we don't feel inadequate, we try to make up for it in the way we parent our kids. So we'll talk about this. We we actually parent vicariously. We live through our kids. And that's a basis of insecurity in us. And so these are the ways. So isn't that good news? You're like, wow, that's great. Thanks, Pastor John. I'm so glad I'm here this morning. But here's the reality. And this is one of the, there's six things I want to talk about, how the gospel shapes, how the Bible shapes for us what parenting looks like. Again, this is a flyover. There's a a lot of other things we could touch on. But here's what I want you to understand. If you are here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you have one objective and all the other things are secondary, third, fourth, fifth, down to the bottom. One objective for you as a parent which will determine the success of your parenting. 
is to get your children to follow Jesus. That's it. You can have a child that is successful in business, that becomes the president of the United States, that does amazing things, is a great athlete, makes millions of dollars as a success. If they never find Jesus, then they've done exactly what the Bible says is the greatest tragedy, that someone would gain the whole world and yet lose their soul because they never discovered the purpose of why they exist. And it comes through Jesus. And as a parent, as a follower of Jesus, here's the thing that we have to remember, and this is what you're gonna see laced throughout these things that I talk about. And here, man, I'm gonna give you a quick disclaimer. I don't want you to allow the voices of shame to get dialed up in your brain right now, okay? Because I have already talked, it's like if I've already parented like, oh, I already messed my kids up, no hope for me. Or I'm in the middle of this and oh, I didn't do that. This is not a checklist of shame today, okay? This is, this is to help us to understand how the gospel shapes the way we parent so that the next generation will be different. So here's what I want you to understand. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have a child, you have one or you have 10 or you have 100, I don't know. You are the primary influencer and discipler in their life. Now, either that's really good news or you're like, oh, crud. I, I say that because nothing and no one takes a place of more influence in the life of a child than a parent. Nothing. You cannot outsource parenting, farm it out somewhere else, and expect somebody else to, to be the primary influence. Why? Because as a parent, your child sees more of you than they see anybody else in the world, especially in their formative years. So, and I believe that God has designed it this way so that if, as a follower of Jesus, you not only brought a child in the world or you adopted them, but now you become the influencer that helps them to become the person that they are supposed to be, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally in healthy ways. And that means that we don't farm out our parenting, what? To the church. The church is supplemental to your primary role as disciple maker in the life of your child. That's so important to understand. Sometimes parents will send kids to church to go get them saved and to go get them morally pure. No, you can do it. We can work overtime and the two to three hours, maybe on a good week that maybe your child is in connection with the church, but you're with them all the rest of the time. Some parents will take kids and, and this is what I experienced and my kids experienced this too. I grew up going to public school until high school and I went to a Christian school and I discovered who goes to Christian schools. It's all the kids whose parents want them to get fixed and get right and have more morality. And so when they show up, I realized the Christian high school I went to was worse than the pagan school down the street. Because the school can't teach what parents can teach. It can supplement it, but it can never replace it. And so when we think about this, you have to understand that we are the primary influencers and disciples in the lives of our kids. So if that's the way God set it up and that's the way it's supposed to be, then here's six things that help us to understand how this looks. The gospel-shaped gospel parenting is this. First of all, it's a personal conviction. It is something you have to be committed to in your life and see yourself that way as a parent. So if the, if the gospel has been good news to you, it must be good news to your kids. If the gospel is only good news to you, guess what it is to your kids? It's bad news because they don't get in on it. The gospel's never so supposed to stop with any generation. It's supposed to repeat itself and reproduce itself in every generation. So listen to in, in Acts chapter 18, verse 8. This is the concept that we work with in terms of the way families are set up. It says, Christus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, and I love this part, together with his entire household. So what is what's going on there? So dad gets saved, but that doesn't mean that dad's out here by himself and, oh, it's just between me and the Lord. It's my personal relationship with God. No, he looks at his family and says, you need Jesus too. And so in that moment, he brings his whole family in and says, yeah, we're all in this thing together. We're going to follow Jesus. You know, it's interesting. If you travel the world in other cultures, you will find this happens more frequently than the United States because we're so individualistic. We only see ourselves. And whatever I experience is for me as opposed to know it's for me and for my family and for my kids. And so it's important for us to see that. So the, the greatest gift that you can ever give your child is not money. It's not education. It's not activities. It's not accomplishments but it's Jesus out of your own experience. That's the greatest gift you can give your child because Jesus will take care of all the other stuff if you give them Jesus. I know when I was growing up, one of the things that, that I, I saw my parents invest in then I heard them say as I got a little bit older and I knew why they invested so much in me is they said that the, the greatest joy that they could find in life is if all of their kids would follow Jesus. That's it. 
They didn't care what I did for a career. They didn't care how much money I made. They didn't care any of, of that. They just said, if, if we can get you to follow Jesus, then we've done what we're supposed to do. The coolest thing happened last July. I think I shared a little about this. My, we got together as a family up in Fresno to celebrate my parents' 60th wedding anniversary. And during that, those few days together, one of the things they asked is if one of the mornings we could just take it in their house, in their living room, we all piled in. And that was, you know, that's, that was their kids, the grandkids. Great. I mean, it was just, we were packed into their living room. They just wanted a time of sharing and praying together. And that time ended with them in the middle and all of us around and all of their four kids and then their, their spouses and everybody just praying. And I watched my parents sob uncontrollably. It wasn't sorrow. It wasn't sadness. It was pure joy. Because I talked to my dad after that, and this is the fulfillment of his, his life dream, that he saw a room full of all of his offspring, and they're all following Jesus. Now, not everybody in our family knows Jesus, but he knows that the kids that he invested in and then the kids that they invested in are striving to follow Jesus. That's success. That's what it's supposed to look like, because the greatest gift I ever have when my parents leave this world is I have Jesus. Now, I would love for them to give me a huge inheritance. That would be nice. <laughs> but I'll take Jesus over the money any day because Jesus is eternal and money will only stay here. Second thing, gospel-shaped parenting also is a required responsibility. You and I don't get to opt out of this one. It's, it's required. If you have a child, it's, you're required to be this. You are a link, the link for them in the gospel chain to their generation. That means that the, the access to the gospel for them primarily is going to come through you. You're the link. You're the link in their lives. In fact, why is this so important? Because it's possible that you as a follower of Jesus can raise a child that doesn't follow Jesus. Now, there are sense of circumstances, hear me on this, that you could do the best possible job parenting and your child still doesn't follow Jesus. And it's still not your fault. Because each individual has a choice to make before God. But... There is also a possibility that you could be a follower of Jesus and your child may want to be a follower of Jesus, but they can never find their way to Jesus through you. And that's what we're going to talk about. Why is that important? Because listen, in the Bible actually records generations that were raised by followers of God that never knew him. That's what it says in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says this. It says, In all that generations also who were gathered to their fathers, and those there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Can you imagine not having any concept? Do you know that that's the culture that we're living in right now? That we are living in what is considered postmodern, post-Christian America, and there's lots of different like debates on what that looks like, but it makes it makes it makes it, there's a growing number of people who grow up in this country and don't even know who Jesus is. And as young adults, when you ask them, they don't even have a concept for who he is. You're like, why? We're a Christian nation. No, we're not. No, we're not. We are Christian people. But that means that we have to pass that on. Listen to what Psalm 78 verse 4 says. We will not hide from them or uh, hide them from their, uh, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Going on in Psalm 145 verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. There's a message that God has given us to convey through our lives to the next generation and it is Jesus. It is who Jesus is. It's how Jesus forgives and saves and transforms and does everything. If we will connect, our, that, that's the message that we're supposed to convey through our words and through our actions to the kids that we raise. And nothing else is important because it is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of, of eternity at stake for them and the fact that in this world they can experience what it means to be human. Apart from God, we can't be fully who God created us to be. And of course we want our kids to have that. There has to be a sense of urgency. This is, boom, the responsibility God has laid on me. Not, don't take the shame. Say, okay, the responsibility God has laid on me is that I make sure that this little girl or this little boy eventually finds their way to Jesus. I give them everything I can. I sacrifice everything I can so they can find Jesus. So just saw probably one of the ma most amazing films I've seen in recently, in the last couple of years, uh, a couple of days ago. It's the movie 1917. Uh, see it, okay? It is a war movie, so just take that with a grain of salt. You know what that's going to mean. It's actually based on a true story of two guys that actually had to get to the front lines in World War I to deliver a message to 1,600 men that were about to go on an attack that was a trap, and they would have lost all their lives. And it shows their journey, and the, the, the amazing thing about it that you feel like you're actually part of the story, you feel the weight of the responsibility these guys are carrying. 
because it's filmed in what's called one shot, which means there's no edits. The cameras literally follow the actors around in every scene, and there is no cut to another scene. It just seamlessly rolls for two hours. It's crazy. And so you forget you're watching a movie, and you feel like you're running right next to them. You feel like you're in the water right next to them. You feel, and so you're immersed in this, and almost, I mean, when it was done, I remember Kim and I were sitting here, I'm like, whew, I gotta catch my breath. We saved the day with them, right? Sorry, I'm trying to, I didn't really give it away. You'll have to see how it ends, okay? But if they were, they were willing to risk their lives to save 1,600 men, would you be willing to give everything you had to save your child? The best thing you can give them is Jesus. That's the best thing you can give them in this life. It's a required responsibility. Second, or third thing, the gospel-shaped parenting also is an intentional process. Gospel-shaped parenting, parenting that follows Jesus, that connects our kids to Jesus, never, ever, ever happens on accident. Oh, I just stumbled into Jesus. <laughs> no, it has to be on purpose. Why? Because everything in culture and everything in our sin nature will pull you away from Jesus. So it has to be an intentional process. It has to be on purpose. So, uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Anybody heard that verse before? We always quote that to our young uh, adult children who are walking away from Jesus, hoping someday they'll come back. But you know what that's saying? It's basically saying, aim a child in the right direction. As a parent, you may be only be able to do that, but you aim them in the right direction. So one of the first things that you can do, and we don't talk a lot about this, but one of the first things you can do to aim your child in the right direction is what we call baby dedication. We don't promote it and talk a lot about it, but what baby dedication is, is your child, when they're dedicated, probably will not remember what has happened in their baby dedication. They might see pictures, they'll see a certificate, but you will remember that day because it's the day not only that you committed your child to Jesus, but you've committed your life as a parent to God's purposes in the life of your child. And when we do it, we are doing that as a church family, that when we have contact with that child, we are trying to steer them towards Jesus. Because we can't force them to make a decision, but we can definitely point them in the right direction, just start them off in the right direction. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, or 6 and 7, talks about this intentionality. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So God's saying, listen, what I've taught you, you, you constantly keep that at the forefront intentionally so that your children hear that. Here's, the, here's the, the, the way to understand what it means to be intentional about our parenting. It's the difference between strategic parenting and tactical parenting. And in reality, both are required. But one is favorable. It's the concept of strategic parenting. What is strategic? Strategic means I do something by design on purpose ahead of time. That's a strategy. Before I get into the battle, I figure out what I'm going to do. What's tactical? Tactical is I have to respond in the moment and make a decision based on what's coming at me. Sometimes what happens, we get stuck in tactical parenting. And what is tactical parenting? I'm just responding to my child. There's no real purpose here. It's just the goal is survival, right? And tactical parenting struggles because it doesn't set parameters before you face a scenario, and so you're making it up on the fly. And usually parenting that you make up on the fly never really turns out well. So it's, for example, it's the, it's the discipline that is threatened and never followed through with. Anybody ever experienced that? If you do that, then this is going to happen, and then they do it, and then it doesn't happen. Or, no offense if you do this, it's the parent that keeps counting. On the, if I get to three, and then suddenly you find all the different divisions between the number two and three, two and one quarter, two and three eighths, Right? What is that doing? It's just moving the line further back for the child. What is that? It's a response to the moment. And so instead of saying, you know what? When this happens, the decision's going to be, and especially if you're, if you're obviously husband and wife, you're not a single parent, you're, you, you need to make sure before you get into that scenario, your kids know that you're on the same page. Kids know how to help divide and conquer, and they do. They just, it's innate in them. If they smell blood in the water, they will jump on it, Right? Courtney and Jordan figured that out, and so Kim and I knew right away, particularly Courtney. Courtney's really savvy, and she would tell you that. She could figure out, ooh, there's a little wedge. I think I can get my foot in there, and so Kim and I had to strategize. No, no, no. When we approach this, this is how we're going to do it, and we would agree, so there was, there was no way she could get through it. But that was a strategic decision, which means ahead of time, I am planning out to make sure that my children are going to find their way to Jesus, and anything that gets in the way will be pushed aside. 
it has to be a, an on-purpose, intentional kind of reality for our parenting because it's just not going to just happen for us. It has to happen on purpose for us. And then there's a fourth reality. The gospel-shaped parenting is a living example. So gospel-shaped parenting understands that children learn most by what we do, not what we say. As a parent, you and I never have the right to say, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. That's not the way we learn. It's not the way any of us learns. In fact, this is really interesting. If we as parents are the primary disciple for, for, for our children, we're the way that we point them to Jesus, then ask this question, how did Jesus make disciples? Read through the, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know how Jesus made disciples? He did first, and then he explained why. He didn't say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Look at me, and, and then never do it. He always did, 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 and then taught about it. And that's why with his disciples, he's always demonstrating, constantly demonstrating. He's doing miracles. He's having compassion. He's engaging sinful people. He's doing all these things. And then he would explain to them, this is why I'm doing this. And they'd go, oh, that's the way it works. And that's why like, when you get to Matthew chapter 10, then Jesus sends them out and says, hey, you've been watching what I'm doing? Your turn. You've seen what it is. I've taught you about this. Now you go and do this. Why is that so important? Because anytime you and I live out something, it gives credibility to the fact that we ask our children to do that. If we're not willing to go there, we can't lead them there. As a parent, we should be able to say, although we know we're imperfect and we're flawed, we should be able to say to our children, follow me as I follow Christ. If we can't, then we need to adjust the way that we're following Christ. Our children look through our lives as a lens to see who Jesus is. You're thinking, wow, they don't have a very good lens. I know it's a flawed and perfect lens, but that's how God works. Because here's one of the realities about a parent and gospel-shaped parenting. The gospel has made provisions for failure. And as a parent, guess what? Newsflash, and all of you have been parenting for a little while, you will fail. You won't be perfect. The only perfect parent is the Father in heaven, and none of us are him. But here's the good news. When you fail, you demonstrate to your children how you handle failure. That means when you fail as a parent, you go to your child and you ask them for forgiveness when you've parented wrong. You're like, oh, I can't show that to them. Yes, you can. You know what it shows them? It shows them the truth of the gospel. It shows that there's forgiveness for failure in life. And it shows them that if, they're a par if you're a parent that's willing to ask for forgiveness, then they as well should be able to ask for forgiveness. See, this is the, the way it works. We are the example. So pe our children are watching us constantly. So that means you start to think about the way that you live your life. Because remember, what you're doing is what they will do. Not always what you're saying. And even sometimes what you do and what you say, they're still not going to do it. But you have to demonstrate so that why? They practice, you practice what you preach. In my, in my life growing up, one of the things that shaped my life was watching my parents. I watched them all the time, and they realized from an early age, and they didn't just live a life to demonstrate. They lived a life authentically, and because of that, there's things that I do today because my parents did them when I was growing up. I can't recall, and I'm sure it probably happened one time or another, but I can never recall the day when my dad said to me, John, you need to have daily devotions. You need to pray and read your Bible every day. I can't remember him ever saying that. I think, well, why didn't he? I'll tell you why, because he didn't have to. Because he did it every day. I, I can remember those rare mornings when I would get up early, <laughs> like really early, like before the sun, and I would somehow get into the living room or the kitchen, and I would come around, and I'd see my dad sitting in a chair with a little lamp on, and he'd either be praying with his Bible open, or he little sometimes I'd see him on his face on the floor with a map of the world laid out praying for the world. And I can't tell you how many times I saw that over and over and over and over again. And so I started to realize this must be something important. This is something my mom did. This is something my dad did. And I see it so that's something important. So they never had to come along and tell me. But although I'm sure they probably did, but that's something that became a rhythm in my life as well. Because I saw the benefit. I saw the fruit in my parents' lives. Now, if my dad would have come at, when I was age 12 and said, better start reading your Bible every day and you better start praying. And he never did it once. I probably said, oh, yeah, right. I'm not going to do that. But because he did it every day, I watched. He was the lens at which I looked through and saw Jesus in his life. There's two more things that, that, that really are important about gospel-shaped parenting. And the next one is this, is that gospel-shaped parenting, this is really important, is an open door. Now, when I go through what I'm going to read here in just a moment, I want you to please hear me. 
please do not be offended by what I'm about to say, okay? I, my intent is not to offend, but as, as a pastor and a leader in the church for a number of years and even looking at some of the decisions I make as a parent, there's things that we do as parents that we think are good ideas and actually they're the opposite of what we should be doing. So let me, let me give you context. So in Matthew chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, uh, Jesus talks about the posture of a child in terms of accessing the kingdom. I wanna, let me just read this. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child that shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So what's going on? So these kids are coming to Jesus and his disciples are like, whoa, 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 he's really important. I have time for you. Because in Jesus' culture, children were definitely marginalized. And he's saying, no, 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 you guys don't get it. If you don't come like a child in the simplicity and the understanding of a child, then you don't get the kingdom. And he's not only saying about the way we approach the kingdom, but he's also, he's making a statement about children. He's making a really powerful statement about children. A couple of them, two of them in particular. This is one of the parents that we need to be aware of. Our children are, are more equipped to understand things that we don't think they get than we think they are. They are. Children have a perception because of the way God's designed things. That's why he's saying, let the children come to me. Why? Because they get, I thought, the, I think the kids got more who Jesus was than some of the adults. And I think sometimes we think, oh, they're just a child. They don't, they don't really get it. And they're getting it. They're getting it. So perfect example. I asked Courtney if I could share this today. So when she was four, she was three or four. I can't remember, that she, but I think she was three or four. Her, her cousin, Brendan, who's like, our family's really close, and so he's like a brother to her. He had a headache. And so, you know, you follow the normal protocol, take some medicine, lay down, whatever. Well, Courtney gets this idea. She walks over and she lay, lays hands on Brendan and she prays for him. A couple minutes later, Brendan, how you feeling? Headache's gone. Now all the parents are going, oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe we should have prayed. And then this is what I love. Courtney says that, well, of course. She goes, I do miracles for God. That's like, that's a given, right? Now, for a three- or four-year-old, you're like, oh, yeah, no. No, for the three- or four-year-old, she got it. The rest of us didn't get it. And there's so many times when we just think, oh, no, they just, they just don't get it. And that's why I love when Pastor Lauren, who oversees our, our, our kids and our youth, she, she said this phrase over and over again. People are like, what is she saying? There's no junior Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, well, you get the junior version down here. No, 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 no. There's just the fullness of who God is. And I think God gets closer to kids, and kids understand more because they don't have all the hang-ups that we do as adults. So don't underestimate what your child will not understand. Now hear me, there are things that are, here's part of the process so I can kind of balance that. So when I was six years old, I prayed to come to know Jesus. I prayed the prayer. But I didn't really follow Jesus until I was in middle school. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't call us to make converts. He calls us to make disciples. A convert is somebody who changes from this allegiance to that. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus all of their life. So pray the prayer with your child when the, you think they're young enough to understand. But don't think that that's all that you have to do. Oh, check. Pray the prayer. Because I have so many young adults I've talked to. Like, I prayed the prayer. Well, what happened after that? I don't know. Because that's the beginning of discipleship. That's like, okay, now, now watch me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Right? You have an idea. Because I, for me, what solidified Jesus was when Jesus became personal to me. And that wasn't until middle school. But that was the journey my parents had me walking on. I still prayed the prayer. Why? Because they knew that I understood something at age six. So Jesus is saying, listen, don't discount the understanding of children. Also, he's saying, don't put roadblocks and barriers in front of children to get to Jesus. And sometimes we do this unintentionally. And this is what we have to really be aware of. And please, this is where I want it. Please do not be offended, but this is the challenge. In fact, this is the challenge that I face as a pastor in trying to help parents to see some of the things that they do that they think are hel helpful, but they're not. So this is what has a tendency to happen. So, and this is not about hearing me. It's not about church attendance. This is about being at places where there's points where there could be accelerated spiritual growth in your child. By the way, just remember, the church is supplemental to your discipleship of your children, but Things that happen at church are a great avenue accelerator for your child to be connected with Jesus. And the reason I say this is because what's happened in our culture, we have bought into. We, we, live, we live with FOMO, which we were afraid of missing out, so we get our kids involved in everything. And what happens is now there's a, com a competition between points of spiritual 
transformation and growth and all the other activities of life. So this is, I'll give you for instance, a number of years ago, I had a, a couple come to me and their, their, their kids were extremely athletic, really gifted athletically. And they said, hey, they've been asked to be a part of a travel team, and this travel team is going to take them all over the place, and obviously they won't be, there'll be Sundays they're going to be gone, but particularly they won't be able to be at youth group on Wednesday nights. What do you think we should do? I said, well, what do you think you should do? Or I said, well, that's why we came to you as the pastor. You're supposed to tell us. I said, where are your kids going to encounter Jesus? Yeah, they might encounter Jesus out on the basketball floor or on the baseball field or wherever they go. But they said, yeah, we're, we're going to make sure that even if practices are on Wednesday night, they're still going to be here. That lasts two weeks. And then the pressure from the team and the coach and the peer pressure, they, let it, they start letting them go to practice, let them go to practice. This is five years ago. It breaks my heart that their kids are not following Jesus today. Now, is that, the, is that the one thing that was the deal breaker? No, but I'm telling you, it contributed. Why? Not only did they not have access to a place that could accelerate the growth, it was a statement that was made by their parents. Sports are more important than an opportunity. I've watched parents do this with youth group, with camp, with all kinds of things, with Discover Project, all the things that we, we, try to, we don't try to pack the schedule, but we're like, hey, we, want, we believe this is going to help a child grow. And so, it's, I'm not, hear me, it's not, oh, Pastor John's just tooting the horn of church's hands. I'm not. What I'm saying is, if your primary role is to get your child to Jesus, find the most opportunities to get them there, to let God work in their life. Because, and the other thing is, here is, I'm saying this because this is, again, I'm just using this as an opportunity, this is to address an issue that comes up. Academics are very important in our culture, I get that. But I've had parents talk to me about how they've said this to their children because their children like to go and be a part of what's going on at church. There's an activity, there's a camp, there's a youth group going on. And they say, well, you didn't get your homework done, you can't go to youth group. Find something else to motivate your child with. Because they may be the smartest kid when they graduate from high school, but if they don't know Jesus, they've just gained the world and lost their soul. I would rather have a kid who's not a 4.0 that follows Jesus than someone who's a 4.5 and is going to Harvard and doesn't know Jesus. But could it be that maybe if they followed Jesus, they could be both? Because they finally found out who they are. They found their identity. Not in education, they found their identity in Jesus. Now hear me, I say all these things because there's opportunities for you to help supplement your discipleship of your children. Make sure that you don't prioritize other things over those so that they never get access to those things. And I say this as a parent who's done this by conviction. Get this, I'm a pastor. I know the schedule tension. Courtney and Jordan played on travel teams for years, particularly when we were in Oregon. Jordan played on travel teams for four or five years. And because of that, yes, weekend tournaments. And I can count on one finger how many times I let Jordan miss a Sunday morning service? One time. I gave in one time because they were in the championship game and I had to ask God to forgive me. <laughs> in fact, it was really cool. Every team that Jordan was on, we told the coach, oh, by the way, if there's two games and one is in the morning and it doesn't fit around the service time, Jordan's gonna miss the first game. You know, it was really cool. On one of his travel teams, they had a later game and his entire team and most of them were not Christians, they showed up to church with Jordan that morning. And then they went to the game. Why? Because Jordan had this conviction, which was helped along with mom and dad. Yeah, there was some tension, of course. I want to go play with my friends. Yeah, we get it. But this is the most important thing. That's why I have such conviction about this, because you can do this. Your child can be a successful academic and a successful athlete and follow Jesus. You just have to have the priorities right. So I'll move on. Final thing. Gospel-shaped parenting also is a gracious relationship. And this is really important. Before I kind of walk through a couple of passages here, I want to touch base on. So what is most important for you to understand is about your relationship with your child demonstrates the nature of who God is. The nature of who God is is experienced through what? Through love, acceptance, grace, mercy. That's the context. And that means the way that you handle your child, the way that you discipline your child, the way that you relate to the child helps you helps them to see this is the way that God relates to them. That's the way it works. A lot of our bad stuff about we, the way we feel about God isn't from God and even isn't from the Bible. It's from the way that we were raised and we portrayed that God is that way as well. So as a parent, we have to remember this. So, and now, and I understand before I go through this, I'm gonna give a qualifier. 
when children are young, they require more discipline and more boundaries because safety and understanding are two things they don't get. But the older a child gets, the less discipline ongoingly they need to have and the more understanding of grace and mercy in their life to demonstrate who Jesus is. Because by the time they become a young adult, it doesn't matter what your discipline is because usually what happens is discipline becomes vindictive and it becomes divisive between you and a teenage child or a young adult. You're like, oh, I gotta keep, yeah, but wait a second, now what are you doing? Now if all you're doing is the primary avenue of your relationship is discipline, then you've forgotten what grace and mercy look like in your life. And our kids walk away with that. So let me just explain what this looks like. So two passages where Paul writes, and it's recorded in two different areas. This is a single guy writing about fathers. It says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and structure of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 similarly says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So the, the term fathers, by the way, so moms, it applies to you too because the, the term actually can be applied to the parental role. So what is Paul saying? Fathers, mothers. He's saying what? Don't provoke your children to anger. What does provoke mean? Provoke means to frustrate with rules or endless correction. It means to drive them to resentment. Discouragement means to lose motivation or just give up. So in our great intent to help form and shape our kids, and we forget that we are saved not by law and rules. We are saved by what? Grace. Faith in God, grace that he extends to us, saves us. That means we have to think of that in the way that we approach our children. Because if all we're setting up is this, you, you have to follow the rules, and if, then, then you're going to get disciplined. And that's all the context they know. Then as they grow older, this is what happens. The millennial generation has experienced this, and now Generation Z is exp experiencing this too, is that as, as young, adult, young people become young adults, they exit the church. And the blame is not going to be all placed on the church. Why? Because who's the primary discipler? The parent. And really, a lot of what the child is leaving is they're not leaving the church. They're leaving their faith because the only faith they have is the one that says, you don't add up, you're not good enough, you didn't obey the rules, and there's no grace. There's no grace involved. We're saved by grace. What does that mean? A gracious relationship, which means your children need to know and understand that no matter how, how horrible they fail in life or even disobey your rules, they are still fully loved and accepted by you. Punishment cannot mean rejection. That is not in the equation. It doesn't work that way with God until the end. That's when the ultimate punishment comes. But how does God work here and now with us? He provides mercy for our sin and grace for our life. That's the way he works. That's what saves us. So think about that with the way that we approach our children. The older they get, the more they need to know. And Kim uses this, and she's used this term with our kids. Our kids have to have a safe place to fall that they can come home and have destroyed their life and they can still come home. And when that happens, something shifts in your children when they realize no matter, at the worst moment of their life, they know I'm solid with my mom and dad. They still love me. Now, they may be disappointed, but they will never reject me. They will still love me. I, I, if I had Courtney and Jordan come up here, they would tell you, there's moments where they've said, yeah, I've blown it. And, and mom and dad would say, you know, we still love you. And they're like, you do? Of course we do. There's nothing you could do with that somehow keep us from loving you and accepting you. And let me explain why this is so important. Here, here's the link for parenting. And this is the link that, especially for those of you who have kids that you've raised and they've walked away from Jesus. One of the most important things, the most important thing that you can maintain with your child as they grow older is relationship. That is the, this is what Jesus went through, all of what he went through for one main goal that we would have relationship with God. Because it's through relationship that we find what it means to be human, to understand what love is, to understand forgiveness. It all comes through relationship, so this is important. So let me just share that this as a kind of a concluding story because this is the context where we find ourselves. So you don't have to turn there, but here's a probably pretty familiar passage to most of us, Luke chapter 15, and we know it because it talks about things that get lost or things that get lost on their own, and one of those is what we call the prodigal son. 
which by the way, that, that it shouldn't be called the prodigal son. I think Tim Keller wrote a book, it should be called prodigal God, because prodigal basically means just kind of, just throws caution to the wind and, and extends and loves. That's what God did to, for us. So that story demonstrates something really important about not just about the understanding of the father's love for people, but the understanding of what it means to be a parent. Because there's a really powerful parenting lesson in, in the story. So you are familiar, if you're not familiar with the story, a son goes to his dad, and he's really not even at the full age yet of when he should do this, but he goes to his dad and he says, hand over my inheritance, one third of all his dad's wealth. Now, we think about that in terms of monetary kind of exchange and money. It was more than money. For a son in that day and age to go to his father and ask for his inheritance was to say this, you're as good as dead to me. Because inheritance came after the death of the, of, of the father. So he's saying, I, I want to leave you, and I, I don't really care about you. I would rather have the money now, and I'm gonna, you're as good as dead to me. And that's what his son said. So it wasn't just this taking of money. It was the full rejection of relationship with his dad, and he walked. So you know the story. He goes, and he lives his life, and he squanders all the money that he got from his dad. And this is what's crazy. In the story, there's something still in this man that thinks there's still hope for relationship with my dad. Even at his worst moment, even, can you imagine you've taken a third of your parents' wealth, you've to their face said you're as good as dead to me, but something inside of you says they might still find a way to accept me back. What is that? That's a hint of grace. It's still there. So what does he do? He comes to his senses, he goes back to the father. The father's response is so powerful. He let his son go. He didn't go chase him into the pigsty. He let his son go live his life. But when he came back, what did he do? He ran with his arms open wide and he embraced him. And then he throws a party. Why did he do this? One reason. Because what did he have lost? He didn't care about the money. He was never going to get his money back. He cared about the relationship. He said what was lost has now been found. I have my son back. That was powerful. But here's the other side of this. There's three characters in this, by the way. There's the father, the son, and then there's the other son. What does the other son do? He gets upset. He says, it's not fair. I've always been faithful. I've always been good. I, I didn't take your money. I didn't, I didn't go. What about me? What about me? And the father said, you've always been here. You've always had access to everything. You've always had the very thing of what is most valuable to, he's saying to his older son, which is relationship. And the older son didn't even see that. So the younger son rejected relationship. The older son didn't even see it. But what did the father, what was his most biggest concern? To be in relationship with my sons. What is God's biggest concern for humanity? That we would be in relationship with him. So here it is with parenting. What is the most important thing for you to maintain with your child? Relationship. That's it. That's what God wants you to maintain. And I have talked to families and, and talked to parents who their kids have wandered away from the Lord. They've rejected their faith. They've isolated themselves from their family. And I say to them, have you done everything possible for you to maintain relationship? Which means you don't reject them on the basis of their sin. You love them and you leave the relationship. Why? Because the relationship leaves room for grace to flow and mercy to flow so that ultimately they can come back. Walking up to a son or a daughter who's walked away from the Lord and said, oh, you're a sinner and you're going to go to hell doesn't really motivate them back into relationship. But love and acceptance, yeah, hell is the ultimate price that somebody will pay for rejection. But if somebody comes to Jesus purely on the basis of hell, they're not really coming to Jesus. Jesus is the door prize. He's not the first choice. He's the last option. And that's not the way we engage God. And that's not the way our kids should engage us. So I share all that with this is to say this, is that as your kids grow older and maybe they're older and they're grown now, if you have a fractured relationship with your kid, God's calling you, to reconcile. And that may mean to absorb some of the rejection you've already placed on them. By the way, being close to your kids, accepting them and loving them is not an endorsement for their lifestyle. But if your rejection of them is based on their lifestyle, you have, they have no hope for relationship with you. So see the way that God sees. Who did Jesus hang out with? Sinful people. How in the world did Jesus, the God of the universe, in his purity and his moral righteousness, hang out with sinners and they didn't run screaming from him? Because he loved them first. And that's the way we engage our children, especially if they're walking through seasons of brokenness in their life. So I'm gonna ask you just to close your eyes. I'm gonna pray in a moment. But I, I know there's a lot here and I want you again to, 
to push back the voice of shame. Because here's what shame, shame comes from the pit of hell. It comes with a lie that constantly whispers to you, you're not good enough. There's no hope for you. You can't change anything. You might as well just get up. That's shame. That comes from the enemy. That makes you go inward and internal. And you, you, don't, you don't try to reach out for the help that God has for you. You just kind of implode on yourself. That's what shame does. I want you to ignore that voice. Because Jesus never comes through the voice of shame. He comes through the voice of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and mercy. And says, there is hope for you. Because I love you. And so I want you to hear his voice today. And to simplify what we've just talked about. And this, again, I know that you may be like, well, hey, I'm single. I don't even know if I'm going to get married. Well, someday you might find this, but you might have find this in the, relay that you, the way that you're relating to your parents right now. But maybe in the future, this is what you'll have when you're married and you have children. Maybe this is something you look back on the past as a parent and God wants to reconcile. But here's the most important thing you can do for your child. So if you don't, didn't hear anything today, here's the one thing I want you to hear. The best thing you can do for your child regardless of their age is for you personally to follow Jesus with your life that is the most important thing you can do because if you are a follower of Jesus and you ask for his forgiveness and you live in his grace and you seek after him and you strive for obedience God will make you the parent you're supposed to be because your child will have the lens that they need to see him so, Lord Jesus, today, would you come and would you forgive us where we failed as parents? Because, Lord, we, we all have experienced those points of failure and not living up. But, Lord, would you as well forgive our parents for what they were unable to do in our lives? Would you forgive us for what we have done in even disobedience to our parents? And, Lord Jesus, would you do what you came to do? Would you bring reconciliation for those with adult children? Would you bring those relationships that are fractured and broken, Lord, would you give us the courage, the grace, the mercy to reconcile those relationships? And then those with kids that are younger, would you give us the courage to allow our parenting to be shaped not by culture, not by our background, not by fear, but by the truth of the gospel that maintains relationship and provides the lens for people to see you. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness and you pray that you would help us as we learn to live out what it looks like to let the gospel shape every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name.